Now let me tell you how this message came about. Last week while Pastor Jimmy was preaching, I was sitting on the platform and I was looking out at you. And I have this overwhelming love in my heart for you as a pastor. And I want to help you any way that I can. My life is devoted to helping you grow in the Lord and come to know the Lord if you don't know the Lord. And I was looking out and I was seeing couples that were listening and listening intently. And I was thinking about what great truth Jimmy was preaching to us last week. But I was reminded many, many times I'll look out and I'll see a couple and... They look great, and they look in love, and they look like everything's going wonderful, and I see them on a regular basis coming to church. They got their Bibles with them. They're taking notes, you know. And then the next thing you know, I hear a report that they're getting a divorce. And and it breaks my heart. And, And so I think to myself, what could I do differently? How could I help more than this? And And are they not getting it? Am I not presenting it in such a way that people get it? Are they not getting it? And by the way, we're all still getting it. You know, we, we never arrive. We're getting it every week. But anyway, last week I thought to myself, what's the most important truth I could preach on next weekend? If next weekend is my last message to preach, and I'm not prophesying, but if I go to heaven after next weekend's message, what's the best message I can preach? I was also looking around the congregation, how many single people we have? How many widows? How many divorced people? How many people are young people who've never been married and teenagers? What's, what's the best? Here we're in a series on marriage. I don't want them to tune me out. What's the best message I could preach next weekend? So this is the best one I got, okay? And it's called The Secret of Success. This will apply to you, married, single, widowed, divorced, young person, old person. This will apply, all right? It's Philippians 2, beginning in verse 1. And let me say this as before we read this. Paul is, um, starts off kind of sarcastically, okay? So you have to understand that. Verse 1, he says, Therefore, if there is any consolation in Christ, well, of course there's consolation in Christ. If any comfort of love, of course there is. If any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, if there's any of this going on, then fulfill my joy by, and he tells us something to do. By the way, the fulfill my joy is kind of like make me happy. (laughs) He's he's the pastor. uh, He's the apostle, kind of like the leader of the uh, Philippian church. So he says, "Okay, okay, guys, do something and... Make me proud of you, all right? Here's what I want you to do. Fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. But in lowliness of mind, lowliness of mind, let each esteem others better or higher than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. Now, before we continue reading, Paul starts kind of sarcastically. Hey, if there's anything good going on where you are, if there's any love at all, do this. And then this is what he says. Don't do anything out of selfishness. Consider other people better than you are. And rather than always be worried about what's going on with you, you need to be concerned about what's going on with others. Okay, I'm going to give a little bit of a sarcastic answer. Yeah, right. (laughs) Are we ever going to get to that place? That's where we're trying to get to. 
But let me tell you this. The key to doing the first four verses of Philippians 2 are in the next four verses. And we're going to go through each of them individually on each point. But let's just read just for now verse 5. Philippians 2 verse 5. Here's the answer to not doing anything with selfishness. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Okay, here's what he's saying. The secret to success is to think like Jesus thinks. That's it. To have the same mind. And let me just take it even a step further. To think like Jesus thought when he was on this earth. When Jesus was on this earth, he thought a certain way. And if you're going to be successful, you have to think like Jesus thought. So here's some, some practical application from the next few verses that we're going to read. All right, Here's number one. If you're going to be successful, forget about your reputation. Forget about your reputation. Now, let me define reputation for you because there's a good reputation, a good way to think of it. For us to do a good job and to want to be a person of integrity and to have a good name, that's a good way to think about it. This word reputation means appearance or the way you appear to other people. And what he's saying is, quit worrying about how you appear to other people or your appearance. Do you realize that our society is more appearance conscious than any other society? We're so worried about how we look to other people. And in essence, we're so worried that sometimes we compromise our Christian values because we're afraid of how we might look to someone. So that's what I, that's what I mean when I say, forget about your reputation. Verse 7 says he made himself of no reputation. But before we can understand verse 7, we have to take it in the light of verse 6. So let me show you verse 6 too. Verse 6 says, talking about Jesus, who, being in the form of God did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation. Okay, this little phrase, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. Well, that's kind of a tough phrase to understand. I mean, if I just said to you, Jesus did not consider it robbery to be equal with God. What in the world does that mean? Well... The Greek word for robbery here means, it's, it's very close to our English word, it means to seize something that doesn't belong to you. That's what you do when you rob someone. You seize something that doesn't belong to you. So put the definition in now. Here's what he's saying. Jesus did not in any way think that he was seizing something that didn't belong to him when it came to equality with God. In other words, he actually is equal with God. He's equal with God. He is he was, and he always will be equal to God. So in no way did he think that he was doing something wrong or taking something that didn't belong to him when it came to equality with God, but made himself of no reputation. In other words, laid it down. That's what he did. He laid down his right to be right. He laid down, now listen to this one, his right to be equal. He laid it down. He was equal with God, and he laid down his equality with God. He laid down his right to be right. If you're going to succeed in marriage, you're going to have to give up the right to be right. It's got to become more important to you to be right with than to be right. Uh, here's another way to say it. Would you rather be one or the one who won? I'm the one that won the argument. Yeah, but who are you going to live with the next few weeks? 
Jesus laid down His right to be right, and He was always right. This is a Christian principle. This isn't just a married principle. It doesn't matter who you are here. Believers, when we get saved, we give up our rights. We lay down our rights. Paul is begging them to live in unity. Paul is begging them to honor one another and to walk in love. So this isn't just a marriage principle. This is a Christian principle. So many times in marriage counseling, I've wanted to say something like this. You guys aren't just being a bad husband and a bad wife. You're being bad Christians. You're not even acting like Christians in this marriage. So, number one, you have to forget about your reputation. So that's what Jesus did. Here's number two. Become a slave. It's a very encouraging message that I'm bringing to you today. Become a slave. Verse 7 says, made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant. The word bondservant here literally means slave. With no rights. Jesus, now, before verse 6 says, being in the form of God. So, he laid down his form that he was walking in, the form of God, and he picked up the form of a servant. A slave. This is how you be successful. Do you realize how many relationship problems this would solve if Christians acted like slaves? Slaves of God? Slaves of righteousness? Do you know how many marriages this would heal if two slaves of Jesus were married? Matter of fact, we ought to just add this to the marriage vows. Don't you think? So for now and in the marriage vow, you could say, I vow to be your slave for the rest of my life. And then if you did it, it would heal. You know, we don't like to talk much about being slaves, do we? We like to talk about being kings. We're kings. He's made us kings and priests. Well, it's true. He has made us kings. But who is the king of kings? Jesus. We're slaves. Did you know, by the way, that Paul never started any of his epistles with Paul, the king of Jesus? As a matter of fact, he started all of his epistles with all of them with these words. Paul, the slave, the bondservant. And a bondservant's a slave. The slave of the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to remind ourselves this. All right, here, i got a question for you. Are you a slave? If you're a believer, you are. Right? If you're a believer, you are. Okay, i got another question for you. Who's your owner? Who owns you? Now, you're probably thinking, well, not her. <laughs> not him. I remember counseling one time, and I talked about doing some things. Of, of I, I was talking to this lady, and I said, here's what the Bible says. This is the way you're supposed to be treating your husband. She said, if I do that, I'll just be a slave. She said, you want me to be a slave? Well, you all know me. I said, yes. <laughs> I said, it would heal your marriage if you just do what the Bible says. And I'd like for him to be a slave too. I'd like for you to be a slave. I'm not saying be a slave of your spouse. I'm saying be a slave. All right, who's your owner? Jesus. All right, let me ask you this question. How is your owner telling you to treat your spouse? And if you're not treating your spouse the way the Bible says to you, you're not a good slave. Let's take it a step further. You're a rebellious slave. And rebellion is as the sin of witchcraft. So you're opening the door to witchcraft in your marriage, and you're wondering why it's not working. 
Because of you. This is an encouraging word tonight. It says he took the form of a servant. What form have you taken on? What's your appearance? Do you appear like a servant? Or do you appear like a dictator? I've told Debbie before, I have a difficulty in this area. I've told Debbie, I said, you know, I I think I would have made a great king or a great general. Because I think the world would be a better place if everyone in the world would just do what I say when I say it. It would be a much better place. The only problem is, that's not what Jesus did. He was the king. And he became the servant. All right, here's the third attitude we should have. Take the low road. Take the low road. Verse 8, And being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself. Verse 3 in the New Living says, Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. We read it a moment ago to think of yourself as lower than your lady. Each person see himself lower. This is the, the best definition of humility. Lower yourself. Take the low road. Now, let me just tell you, I, this is my personal secret of success. Take the low road. I've been doing it over 20 years now. Now, not every time, but most of the time I try to do this because God put this in my heart. I've wanted to preach a series of messages on Take the Low Road. I've wanted to write a book on Take the Low Road. The problem is I don't think it would be very long because it's just that simple. Take the low road. <laughs> just take the low road. Okay, let me, let me help you. Let me give you some practical advice. All right? There are only two times when you need to take the low road. Okay, there's only two times. Number one, when you're wrong. When you're wrong, you should take the low road. A while back, the elders went on a uh, retreat, and we were um, taking a day to just spend with God. And we were at a ranch owned by one of our members. And uh, so we went out to just spend time with God. And I found this place that was right by the river, had a little uh, covering thing where, you know, and it rained part of the day where you could sit under there and not get your Bible wet. Even had a little place where there was firewood underneath a, a, a metal cover. And so I started to fire and... Sitting there, it was in January, I had the fire going, had the thing when it started raining, I sat under that, this is a great place. And uh, this guy drives up while I'm there, and uh, I, he gets out, and I introduce myself, he introduces himself, and he says, I'm, I'm so-and-so's neighbor, the church member of ours that owned the land, he said, I'm his neighbor. I said, well, that's great. I said, well, where, where's your land? He said, actually, it's right here. <laughs> I was on his land, burning his firewood. I was wrong. So I said to him, I am so sorry. I said, I didn't know. I said, I'm so sorry. I said, I'm going to gather my stuff up and I'll I'll go, you know, I'm sorry. And he said, no, no, it's okay. Don't worry about it, you know. I said, no, it's not okay. I said, I I just cannot imagine to be in your place. I can't imagine driving up on my land and see a guy on my land burning my wood. I said, this is insane. I said, I'm an idiot. I just can't believe I did this. I'm sorry. Please forgive me. He said, it's okay. Listen, it's okay. And I said, well, thank you so much. And then we got talking and we got talking about hunting and fishing and the outdoors and all this stuff. And he started asking. He's an unbeliever. Uh, not a believer, he started asking about, what are you guys doing out here, you know? And I told him, we're just meeting with God, and the best place you, one of the best places you meet with God is in the outdoors like this, and da da da. And I'm witnessing to the guy. We talked for like 30 minutes, you know? And then, 
when he gets ready to leave again, I said to him, hey, before you leave, I want to tell you one more time. I am so sorry. I, w- I was wrong. I should have asked better directions. I should have found out where his land ended. And, and I was completely, totally wrong. Can I tell you something? I think many times we don't repent enough. As a matter of fact, I think that's one of the worst things we can do is blow up at our spouse or our children and say, hey, I'm sorry, and not go into a long explanation of how bad and how wrong we were and ask for forgiveness. So I said to me, and I'm so sorry, will you forgive me? He said, don't worry about it. Well, I find out later then, uh, the landowner finds out that I was on his land. Here's what he told me. He said, we have had a disagreement for years. So when I found out you were on his land, uh, uh, burning his wood, <clears throat> he said, I sent him a little gift card with a letter saying I was sorry and repenting, asking his forgiveness for it. In other words, the landowner did the same thing I did. He took the low road. This is what the landowner told me just like three weeks ago. He said, did you know that it healed our relationship and that we solved the dispute? And since then, we talk every time I'm there. Our relationship is incredible, and we're best friends now. Here's the point. Something that was actually wrong, a wrong that was done that should have made the situation worse, actually healed the situation when the landowner and I thought like Jesus thought. So when you're wrong, admit it. All right, so here's the second time you should take the low road. When you're right. Now listen to me. These are the only two times you should take the low road. There's no other time, so you can just relax. Only if you're wrong or if you're right. Those are only two times. You say, well, now where do you get this, Robert? Well, it's real simple. Did Jesus take the low road? Okay, three of you think he did. (laughs) Did Jesus take the low road? Okay, guess what? He was never wrong. As a matter of fact, he was always right. He was always right. That's why I say you should take the low road even when you're right. Because Jesus took the low road even when he was right. Even when he was right. Uh, Here's how it happened in my life. Over 20 years ago, someone was chewing me out for something that I didn't do. They're chewing me out. And while they're chewing me out, I am praying, talking to the Lord, and I said, Lord, how should I respond to this? And this is what he said, take the low road. And I never even really heard the phrase, heard it, but never thought about it in in regards to Christianity or living the Christian life. I hadn't been saved that long even. And he said, take the low road. And so I thought about it, and I thought, you know, maybe Jesus is not fully aware of all the circumstances. (laughs) And so I said to him, Jesus, uh, that's fine, but um, just one thing, in case you don't know this, uh, he's wrong. And the Lord said to me, mm-hmm, take the low road. And so I thought, well, there may be one other circumstance that he's not aware of. So I'll just let him. I said, but Lord, I'm right. He's wrong. I'm right, though. I want you to know, I'm right. I'm the one that's right. And he said to me, mm-hmm, take the low road. So I did. When he finished, I said to him, the first thing that came out of my mouth, I said, I am so sorry. And let me just give you another practical hint here. Taking the low road always begins with the words, I'm sorry. Always. As a matter of fact, I've I've taught this before. One of the keys to marriage is saying you're sorry when you're right. 
Okay, let me just keep going here. By the way, when I say take the low road, I don't mean pretend to take the low road. That doesn't work. I don't mean to act like you're taking the low road. I mean to get your rear on it and drive. Actually get on the low road. And here's how you do it. You, you have to see the other person's perspective. You have to put yourself in his shoes or her shoes and say, and this is how you can do it. You don't have to, it doesn't mean you can't still converse and have dialogue and discussion about something. It means that you simply say, I'm sorry, I understand. I did not understand your perspective. I see how that made you feel, and I'm sorry that I did that, and I'm sorry that it made you feel that way. And I've said to people before, I want you to understand, though, it was not my intent to hurt you. Because it wasn't. But I understand how you feel, and I'm sorry. Anyway, after I did this with this person years and years ago, right afterwards, and I don't even remember what happened, I just got blessed. I just knew God was blessing me. And so I just had the audacity to say, what did I do to deserve this? I mean, why are you blessing me like this? Here's what he said to me, because you took the low road. And here's what else he said. He said, I was shocked. Because <laughs> that's not like you. And then he went on to say this, and I've never forgotten it. He said, every time, every time you take the low road, I'll bless you. So it's my secret to success. I, I, I can't tell you how many times I take the low road. And you know where I learned this, don't you? I didn't realize it, but I, I, I do now. I know now. I learned it from Debbie, my wife. She was always taking the low road. Now, I, all of a sudden, I realize, hey, this is my secret to success. So many, many times I'll say to her, I- I'm sorry. And, and you know what she'll do? She knows that you get blessed. She said, no, 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 I'm sorry. <laughs> no, 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 no. I say, no, 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 I'm the one that's sorry. You want a good marriage? Be sorry. <laughs> are, y'all, are y'all following me? All right, here's number four. Die. This is a very encouraging message. Become a slave and Die. Verse 8, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. Jesus lived with an attitude of death. Let me make this statement. This statement will blow you away. Every day he lived, he took a step closer to the cross. The cross never left his mind. He laid his life down every day, not once every day. He laid his life down for people. And he's the most successful person to ever live. And by the way, I'm telling you, forget about your reputation. Become a slave. Take the low road and die. And some of you might be sitting here thinking, Hey, I've not done those things and I've made a lot of money, pal. Well, let me tell you something. Making money is not success. Living for Jesus is success. Have you been a successful father? Have you been a successful husband? Have you been a successful person? See, the world defines success differently. I understand what I'm telling you is exactly opposite of the world. But let me tell you something else. It works. It works. You have to die. Is it possible, we're talking about marriage, is it possible that God did not create marriage to make you happy? Some of you are thinking, well, it's working. (laughs) 
Okay, let me take it a step further. Is it possible that God actually created marriage to kill you? (laughs) Don't say out loud what you're thinking right now. Is it possible, let's go back, is it possible that He actually did create marriage to make you happy, but the only way you'll ever be happy is when you die? When you die to self. When you die to selfishness. I'm just wondering if the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were talking before they created uh, man, and all they're thinking, you know, the only way he's ever going to be happy is if he'll die to self. And what can we do to, to help him die to self? And the Son, you know, raise hand, ooh, ooh, I got it. Let's make him live with another human. <laughs> and not just another human, the opposite sex. By the way, you know the worst thing about the opposite sex? They're opposite. (laughs) That's also the best thing. So they're saying, okay, yeah, yeah, I think that'll do it. I think that'll help him die faster. Make him live with something 24 hours a day. And then uh, the Holy Spirit probably said, oh, I got another thing too. Let's give them children. (laughs) (laughs) If marriage doesn't kill them, children will. (laughs) It's kind of hard to be selfish at 3 in the morning taking care of someone else, right? Yes. So yeah, I do think God gave us marriage to make us happy, but you'll never be happy until you die. You'll never be happy until you... Marriage works 100% of the time when both people die. 100%. Now, let me say this. If you're here and you're in a bad marriage, you might be asking this question. Pastor Robert, are you saying to me, If I'm in a bad marriage, but I'll do these four things, it will heal my marriage. Listen to me carefully. No, I'm not saying that. And let me tell you why. It takes two people. It may not heal your marriage, but it will heal you. I've watched precious people in our church who were married to jerks. And I've watched them do the right thing and unfortunately still lose the marriage, but they didn't lose their life. And God blessed them. And here's another good thing. I've watched Him protect the children because one parent did the right thing. But let me tell you this. There's a reward for doing the right thing. One more scripture here. Verse 9 says, Therefore, and by the way, again, I've told you this before, but when you see the word therefore in the Bible, you need to look to see what it's uh, there uh, for. Therefore, God also has highly exalted him, lifted him up, and given him the name which is above everything. Listen, if you'll put yourself down, God will lift you up. And when we talk about exalting, I'm not talking about self-exaltation. Let me give you a different definition. God will lift your standard of living up. God will lift your life up. God will lift your joy. God will lift your peace. God will lift your victory up. God will lift you up when you put yourself down, when you lower yourself, when you take the low road, when you die to self. Married, single, Widow, divorce, young person, old person, doesn't matter. No matter who you are, here's the secret of success. You're going to have to think like Jesus thought when he's on this earth. And if you'll do that, you'll be happy. I promise you. 
I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes.